David said to me, he said, uh, you have spoken to the main headhunters, haven't you? I said, no, why, why, why would I do that? And he said, you need to speak to them now so that in however many months or years' time, they don't think you left because I fired you. And this was a, a kind of cover. I said, no one's going to think that, David. He said, well, just why don't you give them a call now and give them my mobile number and tell them to call me if they've got any questions whatsoever. And I, and I did that. And I went around the six main agencies that hire into the sector I work in. You know, I don't know the counterfactual, but, but that was, it was interesting advice. All too often, new mums and dads tell me they feel they need to choose between their career aspirations and enjoying their young children. And I just think it shouldn't have to be this way. And it doesn't have to be this way. And that's why I set up a fellowship programme for leaders with babies, which includes senior leader mentors, career development support, general support with work-life balance and so on. But I realised that actually... The role models that we speak to on the programme have so much more to offer and I want a wider group of people to be able to access them than can actually sit in the room during the fellowship programme. So that's why I set up this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. So my guest today is father of three and CEO at the moment of the NCT, Nick Wilkie. Very warm welcome, Nick. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me and welcome. Glad to see you again. Obviously, we've we've met before. You've been speaking uh, at some of the events I helped organise. Do you want to just share a bit about what your role is and who your family background is, and then we'll uh, dive deep into your experience? Yeah, sure. So I'm the chief executive of NCT, the National Childbirth Trust. We're the UK's largest charity for parents. We provide antenatal education to around 100,000 expectant parents a year, and 17,000 parents come through postnatally through our, our branches, which are led by volunteers. It's parents supporting parents. So literally the length and breadth of the United Kingdom, uh, both before and after birth, we're supporting parents. And it's a, it's a wonderful organization and it's an immense privilege to be the chief executive here. Uh, at home, I have three children, one of whom is now seven and two are five. They're called Harry, Daisy and Tom. And I'm married to Bex and we're about to change how we configure our parenting and careers. And tell me more about that. What, what change is coming up for you? So I'm going to leave NCT at Christmas and I will be spending a lot more time with the family. Uh, it's a real cliche, isn't it? Uh, sort of leaving work to spend more time with family. I loved the headline yesterday of Joe Johnson that he's going to uh, leave politics in order to spend less time with his family. Um, when our first child was born, or actually going back nine years now when we decided to uh, try and be parents, we agreed that we wanted to try and rotate. Neither of us is the greatest juggler in the world. And we decided we wanted to try and rotate. And therefore, uh, when our first was born, we uh, did it so that I gave up my job. The law was a little bit different then. And so I stopped being the chief executive of a charity called London Youth, where I'd been for six years, which I loved, and was a full-time parent for over a year and then went back to work and then when I was appointed here four and a half years ago we decided we didn't both want to be chief executives whilst having three small children so Bex stopped being the chief executive of an access to justice charity and I came to NCT and the deal was that after five years she had the right of return and she's going back to work uh, full-time in access to justice has a wonderful opportunity I'm very proud of her uh, to go and do that now so I will leave here at Christmas. Amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. That's a pretty brave decision. And I think it's brave because you're actually making a choice where there's no, you know, it's not a well-trodden path. There are not that many male role models for doing that. 
what was it like to was it was it always obvious that you would do that at the well beginning? i don't i don't i i get a little bit squeamish talking about this because i i don't i don't disagree with you but i i i don't i don't think it's brave and look you know our kids are at school now uh, so i will do some days work a week i'm going to do some consulting with cas business schools center for charity effectiveness i'm a trustee of three organizations that are three charities that work with families and communities and children and young people i'll I'll retain those. And I'm going to go back to where I started and uh, get involved one evening a week or fortnight at our local youth club as a volunteer uh, youth worker. So I don't want to overclaim that, you know, I'm, it has been that I've been working full time and Bex has been working two days a week. And we're just going to flip that. So that's the first thing to say. I don't want to overclaim uh, how we're going to balance these things. And I don't think it's brave. I'm really wary. And I think being chief executive of NCT, I've become even more aware of how much judgment there is around parenting. If in the moment you try to conceive a child, <laughs> the world then starts to judge you. And there are all sorts of micro ways in which people express their adulation or condemnation or somewhere between for the decisions we all take as parents from how we are in pregnancy. And I think this is particularly for women, obviously, you know, childbirth is gendered, okay, it's a feminist issue. Women in particular, I think, are judged from the get-go, judged about decisions about birth, in particular, I think, about decisions about how they feed their baby. Uh, we know that four out of five women stop breastfeeding before they want to. Decisions then about how we care for our children, where we send our children to school. You know, there is there is judgment and guilt laden within parenting. And so the way we're doing it is the way that seems to work for us. But anything that suggests it's brave or anything that sort of casts it in a positive light, I'm a bit wary of because that suggests that it's a better way of doing something. And I, I want to run a million miles away from that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. My partner and I, we both work four days a week. We've both set up social two social enterprises at the same time in two completely different fields wow. while having in the last three years. Amazing. Three, well, I'm, I'm not sure about that. A lot more common. We can barely spell our own names. I'm not sure. My, my mother says it, it's uh, surprising that, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's surprising that we're still, still standing, but we are. And um, just about, but I think what is interesting is that the reactions and responses so, so for me lots of people would have assumed that I would go part time and but I don't think that assumption was made of him at all and perhaps obviously because of the person he is that wasn't a big issue but it's just interesting how you know the congratulations about making a choice to look after children is is much more what he expe he experienced but also people perhaps thinking about not is this person really serious about um, oh, being ambitious? I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, w without wanting to sort of be narcissistic or, or, or get into a, a sort of history discussion, you know, my, I'm from the northwest of, of this country, and uh, uh, both my grandmothers, who were born in 1893 and 1904, were both medics by career, uh, which was reasonably unusual then, and were both uh, to varying degrees involved in the feminist movement that, that grew out of Manchester. I, I was brought up believing that, uh, you know, that liberalism, feminism, the cooperative movement, all, all really progressive things started in Manchester. Now, I think they would be disappointed, frankly, by the fact that still, as a society, we make so many assumptions about motherhood as opposed to parenthood. And that's not in any way to suggest that there isn't something distinctive about 
motherhood and fatherhood. I, th- I think these are these are interesting I- ideas. But I think it is interesting that that even though the, the idea of children being brought up in in same sex couples, you know, my, my children go to school. None of my children actually are in a class that doesn't have a, a child with a same sex couple as, as as parents. Now, now that that wouldn't have happened, you know, fifty years ago, and a lot more recently than that. And I think there are all sorts of drivers where we would expect that and a number of other things to really have moved the situation that you describe on, I think, that we that we don't make assumptions that when children come along, it's going to be the, the woman who works part-time, if either in the couple does. And I, I think that's troubling, if I'm being honest. But yeah, but, but everyone does it differently. And, and I, you know, I think this is a difficult thing to talk about without implying any sort of judgment. You know, the, the, we, we, we announced yesterday that I'm going to be leaving NCT. And uh, I said, in the way we framed the announcement, that, that I'm going to uh, go back to being a nearly full-time parent. And I really thought about about the language we used so as not to suggest in any way that the way we do it is better or anything like that. And and I've got an email in my inbox today. It's a perfectly reasonable email. And I've really upset someone. I've really offended them because they've read that as the suggestion that they're not a full-time parent when or they're not par- they're not a parent when they're at work and that's not what i meant at all and and it's it's that's just an illustration mm. i feel i'm rambling but but i do think that it is really regrettable uh the assumptions that are made and and, and bex uh would say you know she's never actually enacted it but she's definitely said she's going to have a policy of every time she hears people congratulate me for how we do it um just swearing at them gratuitously and loudly and reminding people that I was there when we decided to try and conceive these children. And I, I think your observation resonates. Mm, absolutely. I am interested though. I do think it's fascinating that the conversation around how you're managing your different career trajectories in, in two in a couple where both parents are really progressive very often ends up with the woman taking a backseat first. And I'm just, I mean, do feel free to challenge me if you don't agree with me and you may not. Um, but I'm just interested in how come you started that conversation, do you think? And and th- was it just you being a feminist or or are you being a, a I don't know, open-minded person? What, what brought it on? Well, I hope I am a, a, a feminist. I certainly try to be. I don't think I've, no one's ever tried to award me a badge for it and I don't think I'd qualify for one if there were such things. But I want well, to try to be. I try to be lots of things. Um, uh, I don't think it ever did come about it, but I th- look, I think there were two things that, that I really want to be clear about. The first is I was really lucky that, you know, I was born to a man when he was nearly 50 and for the first five years of my life, he was a shift worker. And so he would not be around for a bit. I might go three, four days without seeing him. And then I, he would, you know, be absolutely there for a period. So I probably got to see, I was lucky enough. Uh, he was a wonderful man and a great dad. And I, I was lucky enough to have, a really present father. So my earliest childhood memories are, I don't remember my, you know, my dad picking me up when I fell over. And so I don't remember my mum picking me up more when I fell over and cut my knee than my dad. I don't remember going to school and being worried on my first day any more with my mum than my dad or, 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 you know, sports days or, or any, all of these things. I, I, my, my earliest recollections are, are of those being really equal between both my, my parents. And that's, quite a lucky thing and i think that's probably influenced but the other big big thing that i i wanted to talk about a little bit is about class right so you know we can afford to do this and that's because i'm lucky enough to have 
gone to university and have been on a career track. I've always worked for charity, so I, you know, I don't earn a vast amount, but relative to most of the population, I'm very, very lucky. And I married to somebody who also went to university and uh, was a lawyer in the city and then moved into the voluntary sector to work in access to justice. And similarly, we can afford to do this. And that's at the heart of this. It's not about me being brave. It's not about being a feminist. It's the, 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 the single biggest determinant to this is economics. It's about class. And I think that needs saying, and it's, it's a real privilege to be able to do it. And that ties into a broader point where, not a point, but a thought, which is, you know, we, I really celebrate the increasing discourse around diversity and equality and inclusion. And I think that that has been driven by a number of things. And I think thinking around intersectionality has, has helped to drive that. And I think uh, we're also seeing a rise of identity politics. And I think in some ways that's, that's, that's driven rather helpfully awareness around these things. I do think that the, the discussion around equality, diversity and inclusion, I don't hear as much conversation, don't see as much action on class as I would like to, to be honest. And, you know, we all afford the choices we make. And, and that's, I think, a mm. really important part of this. Mm. Well, Dean and I talk about this a lot because he's very much from a working class background. And I obviously I'm from Switzerland, but I'm sure I've accommodated to the middle class here in, in, in the UK. And it's so easy forget to forget if you're not from a working class background that actually we're sometimes living in a total bubble and the opportunities we have and what we can achieve is, is, uh, is very different. And the options, the choices we have. And as it is what you did is you you made a choice, but not everyone necessarily can make that choice. Yes, and I, and I think it's, it's not only economic, is it? Mm. Um, so I do have some status anxieties about not being a chief executive. You know, we, we announced it yesterday and it's, it's been, uh, well, I've been we, we've known for nine years that we'd rotate him. I've, I've known for the best part of five years that, that this time would come. But at the moment, people have been very nice. Uh, and they've, uh, this is very touching. But come January, I will absolutely, you know, well, what happens when we all, those of us who, who've, who've either stopped work or gone to work part-time, we know that uh, we actually do miss being needed by work in the same way. We miss, I think, making decisions. We miss being important, even though in the relative scheme of the world, not important at all. We, we, most of us, I think, and, and I don't know whether this is gendered or not. I don't think it's outrageous to suggest it might be that men, especially straight, white, middle-class men such as myself, maybe I'll cause mass offence everywhere. But I've, you know, I've got, I've got ego and I've got status and I will have some anxiety come a cold January when actually people don't want me to go and consult with them that day. And I'm, you know, I've, I've done the washing and I've done the, 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 the shopping and the cooking for the week. And I've, I, I've got a couple of hours before the kids come home from school and I, I feel statusless and that's going to, and I turn up at parties and they say, what do you do? And I say, oh, I'm, I'm spending more time at home and people look at me and wonder whether I got fired or whether I wasn't <laughs> able to cut it or, or whatever it was. So, so, so clearly status comes into it. But, but I always think that the point I was making before about class is because I'm a privileged man, I've got capital in the bank around status. You know, I'm not that invested by in my job in the way that I I might be if I hadn't got a sense of status from elsewhere. And that that is contingent upon privilege. You know, I was lucky enough to be a chief executive at 30. So I've been a chief executive for most of the last 14 years. 
So I feel like a break. I don't feel I need to prove myself. But it's only because I got to be a chief executive early that I'm able to do that. I only got to be a chief executive early because I'm privileged. You know. <laughs> Once uh, you became parents, you then chose to take a year, a year out. So obviously, a lot of people do take a career break or you know, for, take maternity leave or share parental leave or adoption leaves. But some find it hard to then continue to enter back in at the same level uh, in the in the career. And and you. That, if I well, right. yes, it's a it's a risk though, yeah. and I, and I also think the I mean I don't want to sound overly self deprecating or sort of falsely self deprecating. I'm not, but you know, the other thing is there were lots of careers where I couldn't have it would have been career limiting. Okay, now I work in the voluntary sector, which I think is broadly more open to this, and I, I work in a bit of the voluntary sector that's about families and children and young people. So, yeah, you know, Beck sometimes laughs and says, not only did it not uh, hinder your career it actually helped it because i you know turning up uh, to interview at save the children and then after that uh, the national childbirth trust having spent time as a full-time parent isn't going to encumber you actually mm. Mm. and i can think of all sorts of organizations where it would do and regardless of, of that advantage did you feel you had to do something to manage manage that or was it never in your mind as a potential barrier i don't think i had to do anything to manage it contingent on having been spending time as a full-time parent. I do think that when we were building up to this decision that we just made and, and do we really, you know, we took it some time ago, but did we really want to follow through on it? Is that what we we're going to do? I did, you know, take some discreet advice from people I trust and people who I think really understand the market in which charity chief executives or senior leaders are appointed and I think it is something of a risk, but it's impossible to disentangle. You know, if I don't go on and if I never become a chief executive or senior leader again, or if I never work in a larger organization again, maybe it's because I'm taking time out to be a full-time parent. Maybe it's because my talent just doesn't actually keep up with my ambition. It may well just because I'm not good enough. And I think that's a much more likely reason, if I'm being honest. When I told uh, the then chair of London Youth what I wanted to do, and he was enormously supportive and, and that, was that your boss in your previous chief executive? Uh, yes yeah, so mm-hmm. i was chief executive he was the chair yeah. he uh said well first of all he said look you can uh take some time and then you can come back and you can probably come back on a four day a week and and we didn't want to take that up although i was very appreciative of the board's offer because i didn't actually take a year i stopped work and we didn't know how long that would be and we didn't know how we had one then and we didn't know how we wanted to arrange it and then we decided that we would both work full-time for a little bit which we did for a period when we when we had one child and then we revisited that when we had the twins but david said to me he said uh, you have spoken to the main headhunters haven't you i said no why, why, why would i do that and he said you need to speak to them now so that in however many months or years time they don't think you left because I fired you. And this was a, a kind of cover. So no one's going to think that, David. He said, well, just why don't you give them a call now um, and give them my mobile number. Tell them to call me if they've got any questions whatsoever. And, and, and I did that. And I went around the six main agencies that, that hire into the sector I work in. You know, I don't know the counterfactual, but but that was, it was interesting advice. And I was careful to to really get in front of people so they could tell that you know this is yeah this is really what this is really how we're doing it you know the old adage of politicians as i joked about earlier you know leaving politics spend more time with their family it's a bit of a cliche so i think you know i've I've taken a little bit of care to 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 make sure that that uh, people don't think that's the case interesting 
Has your parenting changed between you taking that, obviously your child was a lot younger than you taking that time out, being full-time dad, I presume it must have to then being a CEO. And now I presume it's going to change again with you being more at home. Yes. I think I'm probably less patient with them the more I'm with them. <laughs> I think Bex would say the same thing. I think there's an inverse correlation between exposure and patience. <laughs> and uh, there's probably something for me, certainly, I think in some ways I am a better inverted commas parent when I'm working full time. You know, I miss them in, I, I love my job. I'm very lucky, but I miss them enormously. Um, so, you know, I, I bowl home of an evening or get up on a Saturday morning. And of course, I, the first thing I want to do is go off and do stuff with them. And if, you know, Harry at six o'clock on a Saturday morning wants to go to the cricket nets and have some balls thrown down at him, I can't think of a, you know, what, how much fun's that? And I think if I'd been dealing with his sulks of going to school on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and he'd been a bit moody coming home and had been mean to his sister, and, you know, I might not quite think that on Saturday morning at six o'clock. So I think there's something just very basic about that. Mm. What do they say about you coming to spend more time with them? Well, I think it's great, but I think even at seven and five, maybe it's just ours. Look, I'm, I'm not a, uh, I have, I have some knowledge about early childhood development, but I'm, I'm not a clinician or a professional expert in that sense. My sense is they can only respond to the immediate news. So, so when they hear daddy's going to be spending more time and doing more drop-offs and being at the school gate and taking them to swimming lessons and clowning around and the other, then they, they they love that they're all over that i'm not sure they've yet realized the corollary that 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 mum will be around less and i i uh you know i generally think she's um well I, you know i think she's remarkable in all sorts of ways so uh so i'm not sure they've they've worked out there's a trade-off yet mm. <laughs> it'll be interesting to have a conversation yeah, 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 um yeah. For, for the, I mean, we've told them the i just don't think yeah. they've internalized it yeah yeah, yeah. And, and that makes sense that makes sense you've become a parent seven years ago would you have any advice to your younger self about parenting, about parenting and holding down a senior role, parenting, taking time off work? Is there anything that you would do differently? Oh, goodness, I wouldn't. Uh, lots of things I'd do differently. I, I wouldn't presume to give advice to anybody, uh, including my younger self, I don't think. Um, I'm not uh, routinely impatient with my children, but I'd like to be more patient. I'd like to be... You know, it's, it's interesting, um, without being able to disclosing, you know, I'm very lucky we, we just had a three-week summer holiday, and with our daughter really remembering that if I think she's being whingy and for the avoidance of doubt, this is not about any gender assumption that it's our daughter that's more whingy. I just, this was particularly mindful with Daisy this summer when I've had that in, initial bristle of, oh, I think you're whinging, actually getting down to her level and asking her and taking time to have a conversation and to engage and to look each other in the eyes and, and, and actually listen to what she's upset or a bit displeased about and you realize that bears fruit either she is whinging a bit but you can have a conversation to either cheer her out of it or kind of find a way of explaining that whinging is just a bit irritating for everyone else in the car or realizing that actually you know there's something wrong that she doesn't like and and i think just that that connection you know less less correction more connection i think is the cliche but i i you know i would love to do more and more of that i don't i don't think there were big things i would do differently i think there were lots of smaller things i would do better but it may be that that's just a lack of self-awareness that i'm not aware of the things i should have done fundamentally differently but i'm sure when they're adolescent and into early adulthood they will uh, 
they'll be able to assemble their own list of how exactly as Larkin said I fucked them up. <laughs> I'm sure we'll all hear, hear, hear that from our children at some point in our lives. So what you just said made me think how, you know, that point that you made about connection that's incredibly important as a leader as well was there anything that you took from your experience as a parent that influenced you as a leader I don't think that is if I'm being really honest and I do think that trying to corral three small Wilkies into self-awareness and an awareness of the people around them and trying to make them half decent uh, contributors to the human race. I, I think that that is a, a fundamentally different proposition from relating to fully formed adults uh, with professional expertise. So I, I don't think it's influenced. The, the only thing I, I would observe, and I don't know if this is because I've just managed to learn and get better at some things, or whether it's because I've just got older, or whether it's because I've become a parent, or all three, very nicely at, at times, both in my 360 feedback and and face-to-face, -face, colleagues will say here that one of the things they value about me is that I'm quite calm. I mean, they'll give me lots of more useful, constructive feedback about plenty of the things I could do better and differently as well. But that's one of the, the, the things that I hear them say that I should keep doing. And I think if you were to go to London Youth and say that I got that feedback, uh, people would fall about laughing. Uh, like, I don't think I was a terrible chief executive of London Youth, but I don't think I was a calm one. So I've definitely, I mean, it, it is without doubt that I've become calmer as a leader. And that's something I've worked on. And it's I have two wonderful mentors and did some work with a, a coach as well last year who was just superb. So it's definitely you know something I, I, I've worked on. And I'm a bit older, but it wouldn't entirely surprise me if part of that is because I'm a parent. So I would say you're one of the first people I speak to who sees their identity as a, well, you're just you. You're a parent at home and you're a leader here, but you're the same person. I don't know if that makes sense, but it yeah, seems I, I, to come I, through very strongly. Well, that's that's kind. And it's, it's um, I mean, I think we're all slightly different people to different people aren't we we you know we all relate to our mothers and our fathers and our our lovers and our best friends and our you know our neighbors all in different ways and i think there's a there's a question for me which i'm particularly interested in there are a number of things i'd like to try and write about when i when i step away from here and the, the point about class is one that i'm i'm really exercised by but another one is this isn't necessarily related to, to parenting so i expect you might want to edit this out but in case it is of any interest we hear a lot about the need for leaders to be authentic. And that's something, it's a real, it's a word and idea of the moment and has been for maybe the past five years and I expect it will continue to be. And if by authentic we mean what perhaps our parents' generation would have called sincere and what my northern grannies would have said, uh, described as bottom, then then yes, I'm signed up to that. But I, 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 I do slightly question this idea of authenticity because we are required as leaders to fulfill a role. And when I snap at my children, that is a bad thing and I wish I didn't. But if I were to snap at my colleagues, that is an unacceptable thing. And if I were to do that more than, you know, if I do that repeatedly, I think that would lead to consequences. And I think I would 
be having quite a stiff conversation with our chair pretty quickly. And I think that's quite right. So the, the, the team here do require some things of me. And some days I live up to those and some days I don't. But there are some pretty clear things that we, we need from our leaders and we want from our leaders and we reasonably expect from our leaders. And if by authentic we mean just surrendering to our impulses or what we would actually like to say at times and the emotion we would like to show at times, I don't think there's anything wrong at times with keeping your emotion and some of your your most animated and immediate thoughts, just letting those filter out a little bit. And that doesn't mean constructing a mask or being false, but it does mean managing your emotional state. And it does mean self-regulation. And it does mean thinking carefully about what you want to project and the messages you want people to hear. And I don't think that's being false. I think that's being responsible. You know, when, when you're when you're a leader, and especially when you're a chief executive, you talk permanently with a megaphone strapped to your gob. You know, people try and divine your every utterance, and they interpret your mood. And I'm always amazed as chief executive when people say, "Oh, you, you know, you were you seem particularly relaxed," or at times they might say you seem a bit stressed. And and I'm not sure whether I am. Often when I'm not conscious of being, now that doesn't mean I'm not. But but it's just a reminder that that you know we're speaking in a you know, in my office, which is glass, you are literally in a goldfish bowl and everything you say is magnified and you need to live with that responsibility, I think. And so I think this idea about authenticity is important if it means sincerity. And I think it's a little bit dangerous if it means not taking our responsibility seriously about how we communicate with real care. I agree. And then there is the other thing that if you are, if you say you want to be authentic and stick to your true self, Sometimes that also means you don't develop because you always stick to your current self rather than developing to your future that. self. I think that's a very good point. I think that's a good And I also think there's something interesting. We at NCT, as I think like a lot of charities, uh, we have a range of corporate partnerships and that's something I'm, I'm, we have a superb partnerships team here. And it's something I'm really pleased about uh, how we've developed actually in recent years that we've developed some really interesting partnerships with some unusual partners. Now, some of those partnerships are not popular with all of our internal stakeholders for various reasons. And I won't give examples because I don't want to name the brand. But we have a really strict and clear ethical framework. It's called our commercial activities policy. And it is absolutely robust. In fact, I've not seen a more robust one in over 20 years of working in the voluntary sector. But it doesn't mean that every decision goes down well. Now, there are some brands that we have partnered with in the past that I personally in my own life don't buy from interesting and I won't say why because it would probably identify and I think it's entirely appropriate that we have partnered with them because there's a real difference between my private politics and the decisions that we want to make about where we invest our pretty minuscule but <laughs> savings and and where, where our pensions invested and how we spend our money. Those are very different from how the charity should invest and spend its money. And I think it's a really dangerous thing when people project their own personal values too much onto a charity. And I think it's especially dangerous when chief executives do that. That doesn't mean that you should leave your passion and your conviction and your politics at the door. Absolutely not. But NCT is not mine. I'm one of the caretakers and the imposition of personal values on organizational policy is, I think, quite a dangerous thing. 
the over imposition mm. of personal values. Uh, so obviously the listeners here, uh, many of, of them will be men who are who may be thinking about share parental leave or who may be on share parental leave. And I know when we previously spoke, you said it was a particular passion of you to include men generally and, and specifically. Do you have any reflections around things that men or couples should be thinking about, things that organization should be thinking about when it comes to share parental leave? We all make decisions, don't we? in the context in which we find ourselves. And there's not a parallel in any way, but I think it's not, I think it's relevant. We don't talk about choices when we talk about how women feed their babies. And we don't talk about choices because we think in many circumstances, there is not a choice. And that's in particular because we live in a country which has undermined breastfeeding. Uh, if you look at breastfeeding rates relative to other comparable OECD nations, they are much lower. And there are all sorts of other reasons. And there are reasons why, for some, uh, bottle feeding is stigmatized as well. So there is, there is judgment and stigma and guilt surrounding this issue. So we don't talk about choices, we talk about decisions. Now, that might be pedantic and it might be semantic, but we think it's important, actually, because we think choice is not a thing for everybody. And, and I think that's true and for all sorts of things, just as I said, you know, we're able to afford to take the decisions we've chosen to make. Therefore, I wouldn't encourage or advise anybody to do anything because we all we all take the you know what what's right for one family in one set of circumstances isn't right for another. And if we were to have a fourth child, maybe we'd do things differently because we're not going to have a fourth child, at least not on a plan basis. Uh, but 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 maybe our our, ref, our frame of reference would be different, our context would be different. So so you just can't. There's so much going on, isn't there? And we have commonalities as parents, but we all have literally unique, non-replicable circumstances. Uh, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't encourage your advice. Between now and Christmas, is there anything you are doing to prepare for that? Career, uh, that's a, that's a great question. Career, right? I, I, yeah, I should have thought of that one myself. Uh, no, but there will be now. Thank you. <laughs> anything that comes to mind right now? I'm thinking maybe very long term, but I'm imagining at some point you may be, let's say, when both your children are at university, you may want another full time role. No, you may I, not. I, 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 are I you setting I, yourself I, I up think I will want for that? Uh, yes, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, talk about actually going back to what you were saying earlier about um, about uh, being at work and being at home. I, I'm very, you know, at, at work, I'm a, I'm a real planner, actually. I'm very planned hopefully increasingly on an agile basis but 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 planning is a thing here and it was a thing at say the children's uk programs and it was a thing at london youth and i learned it early in my career at ncvo and, I, and i'm i'm sticking to it uh, and i'm completely unplanned at home actually so i'm i'm not a career planner you know i want to without sounding smug i want to my criteria are i want to work on a cause i'm passionate about where i think i can really bring something with people i like and admire and I don't really care. I mean, it's got to pay a certain, you know, we, we, we know how much we need to bring in every month as a family that works for us. Uh, that's a, a constraint. But those are my criteria. So who knows whether I'm going to go back. I, I don't want to not have the option on never working full time again in a senior leadership role. And it is a risk that I've done that. You know, I don't think I'm going to inadvertently retire at 44 
but this could be career limiting. But then I go back to my early point. Who knows whether it's career limiting or just because actually my talent is career limiting. I think it's far more likely that I, you know, I think that whose principle is it that we all get promoted to the limits of our competence? Uh, that's probably true, I think. So, so, you know, who knows whether this will be the limiting factor or not. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you think is important to share with the listeners? very dear friend of mine who's godfather to our firstborn to give some indication of the esteem in which I find him. He is a wonderful man uh, who has been through uh, quite changed circumstances in his own family. And, and I, you know, I have such great admiration for how he is a father. He, he said to me that uh, I've not fact checked this, but if you think about it for a bit, it does sound right. That by the time your children are 10, you spent half the time with them that you will spend with them in your lives. By the time they're 10, you're at the halfway stage. They're not ours for very long. You know, right now, my children think I'm a genius and all they really want to do is hang out with their mum and dad. And, you know, the cricket, yes, we're a big cricket family. And my three kids genuinely think that what England needs to do to win the Ashes is pick me they, they, my, you know, my three children honestly believe um that i could bowl steve smith out okay now that ain't going to be the case for much longer and i was tactile with my parents as an adult but i'm pretty sure i probably wasn't an adolescent i'm going to really miss cuddles and i'm going to just really miss the fact that they just want to spend time with us and we don't have to bargain for it it's not a treat when they want to have a meal with us or go on holiday with us or or come home and see us for the weekend and that goes right so yeah that is very that is very very true i want to finish by asking you if there was any uh, what was your favorite moment of combining a, a very ambitious leadership career with three lovely young children that's kind of you to describe them as lovely and thanks to their mother they are at times um <laughs> Uh, this week, as I we were planning the announcement yesterday and, and uh, working with uh, my small number of colleagues, our head of communications and our head of internal communications who are, are fabulous women, and, and we're working through that. And I was finding it quite stressful because you want to get it right and you... NCT is a challenging role and, and we've been through major change and not everyone's supportive of that change. You know, the, the, not, not everyone is going to applaud me out of the building. Well, some people are going to applaud me out of the building. You know, we've been changing things and modernizing and, and doing more and, and I've made mistakes and, and it's been an amazing experience. And I'm very proud of what we've done, but change is not all, is contestable, right? And, and I have really mixed emotions because I, I love this job. It's fabulous. And I believe deeply in what we're building and, and doing here. And NCT is an amazing organization and the people who've been here, and involved in NCT for decades, and they are awesome individuals, and I'm going to miss them. So I had real expression, and uh, I think it was Wednesday morning when Tom, one of our five-year-olds, said, "said Daniel, take my blanket with you." You know, why, why didn't you take? He said, "I still think, you know, you, you are what a what a good bloke you are. You know, <laughs> I really like you, Tom. <laughs> I think you, I think you are right, and, and, and that was lovely, fantastic. And did you? Yeah, yes. Yeah, I think it's my rock <laughs> but now with my dirty gym kit, I'm going to have to wash it before I give it back to him. Oh, that's uh, that's so so lovely. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank uh, you. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, I did too. And so it's a shameful opportunity to talk about oneself, but uh, that's a very nice thing to do on a Friday. <laughs> but afternoon. hopefully, uh, I get to catch up with you at some point. I hope so. Yeah, in the, in the future and here here yeah. about. Actually, my one final thing. So somebody said to me this morning by email. They said um, their bit of advice to me was when you're doing this, 
keep all your contacts live. So That's excellent advice. Yes, so we'll definitely keep in touch. Thank you so much for listening today and thank you for your support. If you are a parent of a young child and you may be at the moment on maternity or share parental leave or you may have returned to work and have a child on the street, then I really encourage you to check out the Leaders Plus Fellowship Programme. Applications have just opened for the 2020 programme. It's open to anyone who is either currently on maternity or share parental leave or has returned to work in the last two years or so. It's an award-winning nine-month fellowship with the purpose of supporting the people to progress their careers. It's really taking everything I'm passionate about and putting it into a nine-month program. So you get a mentor who has him or herself had young children and held down a senior leadership career. You get career acceleration support and it's all evidence-informed. I don't think you need to teach people how to lead necessarily. I think lots of people already know how to lead, and especially many women have really good leadership skills. But actually, this is about being very smart about the career development and getting all this insight and information about how to develop your career that you get from an old boys club. And also just building your peer support network across sectors. Nick won't mind me saying this. It's like the NCT for professionals. That's exactly what it is. It's a supportive group of people who are passionate about their careers and who have young children. Even though the, the children that come along are maybe a bit older than the newborns at the NCD meetings, we really welcome anyone with babies to bring their baby along if they wish to do so. And at every session, we usually have a couple of babies there. In fact, just last month, we had an event in the House of Commons where we took babies along. And I just think it's so brilliant to smash the paradigm that you have to either be a very serious leader who doesn't have anything to do with a family I love taking taking babies to prestigious places and um, just to get people to think a bit differently. So if you're interested, then have a look on the website. It's leadersplus.org.uk. Applications are open now. If there's anything else you want to tell me, then get in touch. My email address is ferina, V-E-R-E-N-A, at leadersplus.org.uk. Tell me if you know of a great guest I should interview or if you have any thoughts on the things that we discussed or any feedback I believe in continued learning, so let me know if there's something I should do a little bit different about the podcast to make it as useful for you as possible. Thank you and looking forward to next time.